0: Please stand and flip me in your Bibles to First Kings chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 9 through 13. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains, and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. Let's
1: pray. Lord Jesus, we come and we ask that you would meet us here. um, Give us ears to hear and eyes to see you this morning um, as you speak to us in a personal way pray this all in your name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, everyone. So on September 7th, 2016, a certain company released an item that took the world by storm. And within two years, not only became a highly popular electronic item, but even a sought-after fashion accessory. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Guesses? Guesses? No guesses? AirPods! uh, When they first came out, they caused quite a stir. Like, some people love the, the light wireless convenience, all packaged in Apple's slick white minimalist aesthetic, while others thought they were just overpriced Bluetooth headphones. You know, something that was already offered on the market. But whatever, whatever you thought, back in 2018, AirPods were Apple's most popular accessory. And since their release, sales continued to double every single year. And then, on top of that, seemingly overnight, they became, like I said a moment ago, the it fashion item, right? Like In the same way that millennials like myself were once marked by frosted tips, low-rise jeans, for this generation... It was the white plastic implants in everyone's ears and that cool case on your keychain. It was almost like a mark of status or like a rite of passage of some kind. Now, I gotta admit, I'll be honest with you, full disclosure here, I wasn't so impressed at first. I was even kind of a hater. But then, after receiving a pair as a gift from some generous friends, I've since repented. Uh, You all know Amanda and I are are old school in our home like someone recently described our house as like an antique shop And I mean we don't have a TV. We still listen to vinyl on a record player. So that's fair Uh, But I got to say I love my airpods like for one I've never tasted the convenience of wireless earbuds before It's nice and then two I got the pros which fit my ear better than most earbuds, but also come with the super handy noise canceling function. And in the age of Zoom meetings, in a season where I've got a dog and a toddler just constantly making noise around the house while I'm in said Zoom meetings, the noise canceling function is really useful. And with one touch, poof, like silence all around, and I can finally make a good attempt at. Focusing on the task at hand or being present in a meeting or a phone call all while still having my you know my hands free And yes, I can even look cool on my little tiny zoom screen in those meetings But do you know how noise cancelling headphones actually work? It's kind of ironic like we hear noise cancelling and we think Silence, less interruptions, better conditions for you know listening to music or podcasts, movies or, or, t- or TikTok clips But ironically, noise-canceling technology operates through noise. Like, our little AirPods are actually equipped with these tiny outward-facing microphones that detect external sounds, and then they cancel them out by emitting another noise that is the exact opposite frequency, thereby canceling the outside noise. It's like fighting fire with fire, or in this case, noise with noise. So my AirPods deliver me the illusion of silence, maybe even the illusion of peace, through the use of another imperceptible noise. But as it turns out, I'm not the only one in my home who's beginning to grow a little too reliant on this technology. As it turns out, (laughs) my little Phoebe, who's one and a half years old, does too. And if you're wondering, no, we do not put AirPods in her tiny ears to help her nap but pretty close. In order for her to stay asleep, we use what's called a sound machine. Like whenever we give her her bottle before a nap or at night, uh, we close the blinds, turn off the lights, and we turn on the sound machine. Obviously, it's not as high-tech as AirPods, but the principle is the same. Like the sound sound machine plays this white noise, noise that isn't intrusive, in order to drown out all the other sounds that would disrupt her sleep, like sounds in the kitchen, the laundry, loud cars driving by, etc. And we just so much, we're back, we're actually dependent on it. Uh, I can't remember the last time I actually slept in a room that was really, truly, completely silent. And we're fighting noise with noise. Again, ironic, right? But there's another layer of irony, and it's this. While I and many others, maybe you, while we pay the extra bucks for noise-canceling features, while me and Amanda feels like our lives depend on Phoebe's sound machine, we as a people actually are a little scared of silence. Like the thought of going through a day with no stimulus devices, like think no phones, no TVs, no screens, at the very least seems boring. But perhaps more than that, the thought of being alone with our thoughts is scary to us. It's the inner noise that we fear. Either it's too real or it'll overtake us somehow if we give it a chance. And so we don't. We drown out the inner noise with, you guessed it, outer noise. It's like reverse AirPods, right? Now, no guilt here, I'm serious, but if they're not out already, I'm certain that you know. right after the service, the phones will come out, messages will be checked, posts will be like, Pokemon will be caught, right? Noisemakers, sound machines. You know, some of us always have to have the TV on at home or music on. Some of us bring our phones and devices into the bathroom so we can have something filling the air as we shower. Like, we can't just have a moment. Even in the shower. But, you know, the noise goes beyond the the digital appendages we call our iPhones. You know, anything in our lives can fill the air. Operating very much like my AirPods or Phoebe's sound machine. Obvious one is entertainment and pleasure. You know, just so long as we have the world or the portal that is our screens, we're okay. Because then we don't have to live so much in the reality of our current life circumstance. Like, I'm okay for now because I got my Pokemon waiting for me afterwards, or a show waiting for me. And I mean, I'm right there with you. I can't tell you how many hours of my life I've lost to YouTube while in the middle of writing a sermon. I can't tell you how many times I've reached for my phone when I'm actually, you know, just trying to spend time with Amanda or Phoebe or Jesus, for that matter. And this is why I have to put my phone on Do Not Disturb and leave it out of reach for, uh, for my quiet time. And so for Christmas, Amanda actually got me like this, this cool hourglass for me to keep time during those moments. Antique shop. For you, I don't know, maybe it's shopping habits. You know, some affectionately call that retail therapy. Or maybe it's the next trip or vacation or experience. Like as long as we have this on the calendar, something to look forward to, we're good. Hope on the horizon, right? Um, and all these things, you know, they're not inherently bad. Some might be. Uh, but more often than not, they're just, you know, they're just tools that we use to get through the day. Tools we use to drown out the noise within. Potentially the voice that says, you're not happy. Why are you unhappy? You know, the voice that reminds us of all the things in our lives and our minds and hearts and our pasts you know, that we would rather avoid. And then for some of us, maybe it's work. You know, Be that your job or, or schoolwork. Busyness always busying ourselves, always filling our schedules or letting them be filled, always feeling the need to go from one thing to the next. And I have to name this too, because there is such a thing as Christian busyness, like where we're so busy with like Christian-y things, church activities, tasks, ministry-related stuff. Again, obviously not really inherently bad things, usually good things, until they themselves become the barrier between us and us. Like, we're so busy with churchy stuff that there's actually no room for God himself. It's like being so busy and preoccupied running my family that I actually have no quality time to actually spend with my family. And we've said it many, many times before, but I'm going to repeat what Christian philosopher Dallas Willard famously states. He says, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You know, oftentimes we think the enemies of the spiritual life or life with Jesus are obvious things like temptation, lust, addiction. But would we ever consider busyness and hurry? You know, we tend to think sometimes of those things as markers of success, actually. Like you must be very important, or you must have very important things to tend to if you're always busy. And again, you know, work, school, not necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but they can be when they become the noise makers and the sound machines in our lives. They can be when they become tools to keep us always moving, always hustling, always grinding so that we don't have to stop and think about questions like why am I doing this? What is the meaning of it all? What is the most important thing to me? Or or what is the point of life? Is this all that I am? What are the noise makers and sound machines in your life? And what do they really drown out? And as we talk about this today, we'll get at an even darker layer, like in our need to fill the air and our thirst for noise, our efforts to fill the silences and all the moments in between, are we playing into the hands of something darker and more sinister? Is it all a trap? In the book, the Screwtape Letters, anyone read that? You should read it. It's really good. Anyway, at Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes about a senior demon named Screwtape, and he's writing to a younger demon in training, uh, his nephew named Wormwood. And the whole book is essentially a conversation between the two of them about how to ruin this unnamed human in the book.
0: But in one part,
1: when the demons are talking strategy, Screwtape writes this. My dear Wormwood, music and silence... How I detest them both. How thankful we should be that ever since our father, he's talking about Satan, entered hell, though no longer ago than humans, reckoning in light years, could express, no square inch of infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces. But all has been occupied by noise. Noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and virile. Noise, which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We have already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. But I admit, we are not yet loud enough or anything like it. Research is in progress. Noise, seemingly harmless, all too easy and accessible. But what if noise is actually the great enemy or the great weapon of the enemy against us? Like imagine that, your phone. A weapon of the enemy. Your iPad, a weapon of the enemy. Your hobbies, healthy things converted into weapons of the enemy. Busyness, a weapon of the enemy. That's what Satan does, right? He twists and distorts. And we start to understand that noise is most definitely his weapon of choice against us when we consider his motives. What are the enemy's motives? In the opening pages of Scripture, we see the enemy out to tear apart and to sever relationship between God and us, and even between us and each other. You know, In the garden, back in Genesis, all the serpent has to do is isolate and alienate Adam and Eve from the voice of God, their loving father. That's it. And once they're isolated, all he has to do is get them to question reality, to question the truth about God. You know, Satan has a, a very simple job to do, and he does it really effectively. So the enemy is out to isolate us from God, isolate us from his love, from truth. He's out to isolate us from each other. And noise and the echo chambers in which we live are his weapons and tactics. Jesus tells us in John's gospel that the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Paul reminds us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, we live, right now, we live in the enemy's domain. And it's a kingdom of noise. Noise has become the air we breathe. The enemy, Satan, very real and he wants to destroy us he wants to destroy you and I'm not trying to be dramatic or get all fire and brimstone on you this is reality like I used to I used to meet weekly with this guy who's I think he's from he was from Georgia but he became this missionary in, in India very successful missionary and he would just talk week after week after like this demonic oppression that demonic possession All these spiritual, all the spiritual darkness. Then he is like, you know, we don't see that stuff here because Satan doesn't really need to resort to that stuff here. All he needs is noise. And if noise is the easiest way to isolate us from God, from love, from truth, the easiest way to lead us from life and towards blindness and eventually destruction, then that's what he'll do. It's what he is doing. We need to understand this. So let's dive deeper into into how it works. God's intention for us is to know him, to know ourselves, and to know ourselves as deeply loved by him. But noise prevents all of these things from happening. So, what gets drowned out? Three things. God's voice, the soul's voice, and truth and love. We'll start with the first, God's voice. According to theologian, Dr. Gary Brashier's, learning to hear God's voice is the single most important task of a disciple of Jesus. The most important thing for Christians to learn how to do. Makes sense though, right? Like if we're gonna follow Jesus and actually obey him and actually surrender control to him, logically speaking, we need to be able to hear him. And Jesus says himself, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Obviously, then, all of the noisemakers in our lives get in the way of this. Again, exactly what Satan wants, to keep us isolated from the voice of our Father. Noise prevents us from, from learning to hear and discern God's voice. And so, very simply, it prevents us from knowing God, listening to him, and obeying a big blow to discipleship under him. Second, the soul's voice. Back to the notion of being alone with our thoughts. Uh, it can be scary, right? Like, we don't want to deal with what lurks in the back of our minds or deep in the recesses of our hearts or, or the data banks where all of our good and bad memories, our good and bad deeds and experiences are stored. Old baggage and wounds, hurt, trauma, but also sins and, and certain character traits that we'd rather keep hidden the soul has a way of bringing it up regardless. All these things are in us no matter what we do. Whether we choose to face them head on or not. The healthy step would be for us to take courage and to face them head on, processing all that is in us in an intentional way with God, with love and community, and maybe even with professional help. However, the unhealthy and unfortunately much more common choice is to sweep these things under the rug, act as though they don't exist. Uh, but what most people don't realize, or what most people become willfully blind to, is the fact that the inner darkness inside all of us has a way of seeping out, you know, whether we want it to or not. It's just inevitable. And when they aren't brought into the light and faced, our wounds as well as our sin patterns affect and dictate all of our actions and our decisions they affect the way we interact with others and they tend to pollute the relationships that we hold most dear for example if i don't confront my ego and my need to perform something that i've struggled with in the past and continue to wrestle with then it does affect my choices it does affect my relationships it affects the way that i pastor our church And so what if I stood up here and told you that I've had issues with my ego and with the need to perform, but I'm doing nothing about it? And if I kept it hidden, I'm sure you would notice in some way or another. That would totally affect my integrity, right? It would totally affect the way that I lead you, and you would feel uneasy, to say the least, right? And you would be right to feel that way. Now imagine yourself, all of the things, good and bad, that you don't confront about yourself and take to God. (coughs) In community, it is affecting your life in ways you cannot see, and that is dangerous. When we use noise to drown out our inner voice, we allow what psychologists refer to as our false selves to thrive. If you're unfamiliar with the term, basically, our false self is the identity that we want to and try hardest to project to other people. Usually because we feel like we're nothing without it, we're not enough. It's like the mask that we wear. But we wear the mask so long that it becomes our identity, even though it's not the truest thing about us. Even though it's not our true identity. Psychologist David Benner writes, at the core of the false self is a desire to preserve an image of ourself and a way of relating to the world. How we think of ourselves and how we want others to see us and think of us. I tend to want to project myself as competent and being an Enneagram 4, if you've ever taken the Enneagram, being the 4, I want to be special in some way. That's one of the pitfalls of a 4. Maybe for you, you might try your hardest to project yourself as as one that's intelligent or witty or funny or successful or in control or even someone that doesn't really care about what other people think while deep down inside you kind of do care about what other people think. Noise then comes along and silences any voice that tells us this is not who you really are. And when we surround ourselves with noise, What ends up happening is our our false selves get reinforced, just as Satan intends. Because we drown out any voices of truth. Because again, we drown out the voice of God. So all in all, noise prevents us from truly knowing ourselves. Noise fuels hiding and denial and shame, which is exactly where the enemy wants to keep us. Isolated in lies, falsity and shame. And when the truth gets drowned out, so does love along with that. So the third thing, truth and love. Paul writes, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And what is truth? what truth does God want us to know, not just in our minds, but deep in our hearts and in our bodies, all the way down to our bones, at the core of who we are? This is truth. The Apostle John, while he's exiled in the island of Patmos, writes this. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is truth. God is love, and we are loved by him. He knew us and loved us before he made us And then he made us in love. He pursues us in love. He sacrificed for us in love. Paul writes again to the church in Ephesus, but God being rich in mercy because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He doesn't love us after we fashion our idealized selves and get our act together, put on our pretty masks. He doesn't love us any more when we behave well or serve in church, etc. He doesn't love us any less when we fail or make blunder after blunder. We can't win his love, and we also can't lose his love. He just loves us, is who he is. Author Brennan Manning writes this, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn it. In other words, we're all trying to get to know ourselves, right? I hope. In other words, we know ourselves best. We know the deepest truth about us when we know just how much God loves us. This is truth. We are loved by God. And we cannot afford to let that get drowned out. So if you have your Bibles, this is all one very long introduction. If you still have your Bibles, go ahead and turn back to 1 Kings 19. I'm going to read it one more time. There, Elijah came into a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Interesting question. Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life, too, to take it away. And God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. What are you doing here, Elijah? I actually like how the King James Version interprets verse 12. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. God's voice is described as a still, small voice. So if we are living in the enemy's domain if it is a kingdom of noise that drowns out truth and love, then how do we tune in to hear that still, small voice? At this point in 1 in Kings, Elijah is actually on the run for his life. He starts by going one day's journey into the wilderness, and then takes an even longer journey, 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, which just happens to be a historic place where people go to meet with God. Horeb is where Moses alone encounters God in the burning bush. And then later, the mountain where he receives the Ten Commandments. So it's here on Mount Horeb that Elijah finds a cave and stays there. So he's very much alone, a long way away from anyone. He's in a place of solitude and stillness. And it's here that God's voice comes to him. So let's see if anyone else does anything similar. Make one big flip to the right in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. I'll just read from verse 15 here. But now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Friends, Jesus is getting a lot of likes and follows here. In our day and age, with our social currency, that would be a really good thing, right? And the natural response would be what? Build that platform, Jesus. You're gaining likes. You got that blue check next to your name. Keep going. Pick up sponsors. Quit your daytime job. No more carpentry, Jesus. Start that YouTube channel. Build your kingdom that way. Jesus does the exact opposite. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now it's not that Jesus didn't want to teach and heal. That was definitely a part of his mission after all. And he would go on to do a lot more of that. But Jesus knew the importance of getting away from the he knew the importance of, of getting away from the crowds and all the hubbub in order to be with his Father, to hear his Father's voice, and to recenter himself on his true identity and his Father's will. This was a regular rhythm for Jesus. Mark writes in his Gospel, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So again, in the middle of teaching and healing and casting out demons, Jesus gets away to be alone with God. And so from Moses to Elijah all the way down to Jesus and then to the early church and to the desert fathers and mothers who who journeyed into the desert in order to get away from a watered-down Christianity and to recapture deep connection with God. Through the line, we see that there is a very clear connection between solitude and hearing God. There's a clear connection between being in stillness and silence and hearing God. The fact that we live in a kingdom of noise, and the fact that this is the environment that the enemy wants to keep us trapped in, is one big invitation by God into solitude. In order to actually follow Jesus, listening to him, obeying him, and surrendering to him, we need to learn to hear his voice, the voice of our shepherd. And to hear him, we need to get away from the noise, move away from it, not draw towards it. Since noise is our norm, since noise is like a bandage for us a lot of the times, and especially since noise is the weapon of the enemy, we need to launch a full-scale personal and corporate resistance to it. We need to take up God's invitation to solitude. Because behind that invitation to solitude is the invitation to closeness intimate relationship with him and life-altering discipleship under him. We need solitude. And this has all been one long intro for what lies ahead here at our church, True North. In the coming weeks, friends, we will be practicing taking up God's invitation. After Lunar New Year, we will begin a four-week teaching and practice series on, you guessed it, solitude. Together, we'll take baby steps towards carving out time to simply sit and be alone with God in order to develop and and cultivate our inner ear so that we can hear our shout. After that, we'll launch into a series devoted entirely to hearing God. And so after we prepare the space through solitude and and silence, we'll dive deeper into actually doing the stuff, learning to hear the still, small voice of our Lord. Living deeper into the reality of prayer as a two-way conversation. That's awesome, right? Like, I can't be the only one excited about that, like actually hearing God. But while that's all ahead in the coming weeks, don't worry, we don't have to wait that long uh, we're going to end here today with just some beginning steps to practice together. Here's a really easy first step. Think of this as a warm-up. <laughs> Think of all the activities that you do where you would normally have like your AirPods in or music on, in the background on a Bluetooth speaker or YouTube or TV going on. Or maybe you wake up and the first thing you do is turn on a screen or the radio. probably nobody. This week... Try doing one of those activities without your AirPods in, without the Bluetooth speaker on, without your phone or your computer within reach. Commute to school or work without music or a podcast on. Study in silence. Go on a run without your earbuds in. Don't reach for your phone right after this service ends, or when you have a break at work, or, or when you have a free moment. Just simply be. Give the poor Pokémon a break. Let him run free for a moment. You might go a little stir-crazy, you might feel a little bored. That's all okay. It's called withdrawal. It's to be expected because what you're doing is very gradually weaning yourself off of noise. That was totally unplanned, Daniel. You're unplugging yourself from that constant IV drip the enemy wants to keep you hooked up to. And in the stillness, in the absence of the usual noise, just breathe. Notice your surroundings, notice your body, notice the people around you. Strike up a conversation. You might even use the time to pray. Like, honestly, my runs oftentimes become moments of prayer. It even helps to take my mind off of the discomfort that I'm feeling. The next practice, especially if prayer is already a part of your life, if so, that's awesome. The next practice is something called listening prayer. We've talked about it a little bit in the past couple of weeks. But, you know, don't feel like you always have to think of words or generate things to pray at God or to God. That's great, and God always welcomes our requests. But this week and beyond... Try listening prayer. It's super simple. In, in listening prayer, and I've actually worked out a little acronym for us, BUILD, foundation to build upon. Uh, in listening prayer, all we do is sit in stillness, preferably in a quiet place. That's kind of obvious. Could be in the woods, could be in the car, could be in your closet. Then invite God to speak. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak into your life. Pray, come Holy Spirit. And after that, we simply wait patiently, listening for a word or a whisper, maybe a a snippet of scripture to come to our minds, or even like an image. And again... Probably will get a little restless your mind will no doubt be flooded with distractions and potentially anxious thoughts and to-do lists And that's all okay Again, it's part of the weaning process. We're weaning ourselves off of noise off of the need to fill the air with something Chances are you probably will not hear anything from God the first time or the second or third or fourth or fifth time You might and if you do Proceed to step four. Take it to someone you trust and discern it together. But if you don't, again, don't worry. You're not doing anything wrong. Remember that step one to hearing God is simply readying ourselves and making that space. Like young Samuel in the Old Testament, we're just saying with our words and our actions, here I am, Lord. I'm ready, Think of it as preparing the ground with the soil. That's a slow process. But it's through this slow process that we begin our quiet resistance against the enemy in this kingdom of noise. This is how we take back ground in our minds and our hearts and our souls, winning back territory for the kingdom of God to reign in us. Friends, this is the beginning of a journey away from noise into solitude and silence and towards God himself the voice of truth and love it's a long journey and it kind of starts out like a slow movie at first but one of those academy award nominees that unfolds and blossoms into this beautiful life-changing epic and I say that from experience as those who seek to truly follow Jesus, it's an absolutely necessary journey. We'll close with this. Our Lord and Rabbi, our teacher, our friend, reminds us, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. True north. Let us make room to hear the voice of our good shepherd so that we can follow him into true life. Will you stand and pray with me? Holy Spirit, it feels foreign and uncomfortable and novel. But at this time, we begin to welcome the silence. We begin to welcome solitude. We begin to, to stage our defense and our resistance against the noise hey. of our time the noise of our lives because we want to be with you we want to hear from you and so we ask Lord in your mercy and in your grace that you would make it a little easier for us that you would come and meet us continue to to invite us and draw us into your presence Lord bless us Empower us as we step into this new journey. Journey into solitude so that we can find you there waiting for us.
0: We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.